What is up, everyone? I hope you're having a wonderful 2023. Inside the War Room is, of course, here, ready to go. A lot of shows this year to put out. Two things you can do to support us. One, give a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. A like, a thumbs up, subscribe, whatever that looks like on your platform. We would greatly appreciate it. Two, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to warroommedia.com. That keeps the ads off. That keeps us rolling. It covers our cost. We would really, really appreciate that. Warroommedia.com. Baguette, welcome to the War Room. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Okay, well, let's get right into it. Um, I was telling you offline, I watched your TED Talk from, what, four years ago, I guess, about entrepreneurship, um, business in Africa. Uh, it's a it's an interest of mine as well. Um, I find it very difficult <laughs> to do stuff in Africa um, from an outsider's perspective. Hearing your perspective was interesting. Maybe unpack what's changed, if anything, since that speech and where we're at today um, on doing business in the continent of Africa. Well, West has changed. Um, I would sadly say that um, when I was still giving that talk, we were with um, five nations in sub-Saharan Africa that were, uh, but we had uh, almost all of sub-Saharan African nations at the bottom of um, doing business index indexes, like the World Bank doing business index uh, ranking of a. Sorry, I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Again, you have to bear with me because English is my fourth language, only my fourth language. Sometimes <laughs> I words. So let me put it back in order. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, since that um, since that um, talk happened, it was in 2017 in Arusha in Tanzania. And so when I gave that talk, if I'm not mistaken, um, if you were to look at um, indexes that look at how hard or easy it is to do business anywhere in the world. Back then you had um, all, all of all, almost all of sub-Saharan African nations, except maybe for five that were in the bottom half of that list, meaning that it's literally um, harder. The African nations are the hardest ones to do business in, in the world for most of them, except for five. Uh, and since then uh, only one has crept up to the top uh, I mean, only one more um, to the five exceptions, only one more. So now we have six, right? So really out of that um, number of uh, nations to only have one that has kind of moved up more than, you know, in a significant way, it's uh, good for that country and it's primarily it's Rwanda, but still kind of um, pathetic state of affairs, um, you know, as it relates to the rest of, the, of, of, of um, sub-Saharan Africa. And it's... For me, it's 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 a point of frustration because there's so much good that can be done, and yet it is so hard to get stuff done. I think people in the West might think about corruption in Africa, um, and they might they might kind of uh, flippantly talk about it. But uh, when you kind of get in there and you see how the sausage is made, if you will, how the the wheels work. It's infuriating, not only on the on the Africa side, but also on the U.S. side. Uh, I'm a big believer that the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is one of the things that really prohibits um, small business owners in the U.S. from being able to work uh, in places like Africa, and and so it, it really uh, prohibits us from from trying to go and to, to to work with people there. And it's 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 tragic because there there's so so much potential there. Yeah, I mean. 
the best way to know potential is look at um, the most uh, so-called um, wealthy nations of the world where uh, people have been able to um, do what we call entrepreneurial value creation, basically entrepreneurs getting to work and uh, creating value uh, for everybody around them, including themselves, um, you know, so when you look around, whatever uh, human beings are able to do at their best, any other human being, literally, technically, is supposed to, is able to do the same. So now, why is it that we have, um, you know, depending on where they happen to be, some people are able to manifest their greatest potentials, uh, you know, depending on where they are, they can and or not. So um, for me, I get so frustrated when I hear. You know, oftentimes it's funny because you tell, you explain to people these very simple relationships of you're poor because you have no money, at least not enough money to take care of your basic needs. Um, what, uh, why don't you have enough, why don't you have money? Because you have no source of income. Even this simple thing, people, you have to remind them why uh, you, you're poor because you have no money. You have no money. Why? Because you have no source of income. What is a source of income for most of us? It's a job, isn't it? And where do jobs come from? They come from the private sector, um, businesses, especially small and medium-sized enterprises. And um, even then, sometimes I have folks saying, oh, well, it can come from the government too. Well, even if you're a public servant, um, I would like to think you're going to be paid, right? Well, that money you're getting paid, we're getting paid with, where does it come from? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. It comes back. It comes from the private sector. When people are paying their taxes, you know, both employees and employers, we pull that all up, you know, give it to government for its budget to take care of, uh, you know, its expenses, mm-hmm. growth, um, you know, all the things we need to do and paying the public servants who are doing that work. So in any case, we go back to business. We go back um, to the private sector. And so then won't you ask yourself if we want a thriving private sector, if we want thriving businesses, for anything that you want to thrive, two things need to happen. You have to have a good seed. Uh, so meaning like to start with good seeds, in this case, people, and I believe that people everywhere have abilities. So you need to start with, you know, the seed, in this case, people, and you need, and then you need to provide it a good environment. You get a really good tomato seed and uh, you give that seed the environment is going to need to be its most beautiful tomato plant, providing you with the nicest, juiciest, tastiest, ripest tomatoes, period. At uh, at the human level, same thing. You know, we're the humans with the seeds. What's the environment in which we're going to be able to thrive? When we talk about businesses, when we talk about business, what business, uh, the, the business environment um, that's needed is basically um, uh a set of, uh, we need to have a clean, transparent, and sane regulatory uh, business environment. So when we look there, we find that um, most African nations are the ones that actually offer the poorest business environment to their citizens, to their would-be entrepreneurs. So, um, and then I hear the West oftentimes, instead of, so when you make this case, uh, what I'm hearing from so many is like, you know, it's almost like it glazes over. It glazes over their consciousness. It's like, huh? No, no, it's corruption. And I'm like, you sit. That has been very frustrating because even that corruption we're talking about. Okay, Ryan, let me walk you through something. Um, you know, if, for example, in my country, uh, they make it, it is, the, it is the law that uh, any, my country happens to be one of those many African countries, their whole budget 
their whole budget, um, you know, strategy. So meaning where are we going to get the money that they need to run the country? It's primary, it's mostly uh, focused on taxation, primarily of taxations of imported goods, because they know that many of our, um, many of the citizens simply the tax pools coming from a citizen is not that great because we don't have that many people having sure. a job, at least not an official job. So the whole strategy is based on taxation, especially of imported goods. So now take me. I'm in this country. I'm trying to do business. I'm making this uh, lip balm. I'm making these creams. So let's just take the lip balm. Uh, it needs some ingredients and it needs some packaging. Some of it is available um, the way at the standard that I need it in country. And standard is two things. Quality, I need to have a right quality, and I need to write the right quantity. And that needs to be reliable, otherwise I cannot operate, because I cannot buy one day from Ryan, another day from Magad, and another day from Adama, because, you know, it messes up the, the quality standards. It's just not good practice for products that you have to trace everything. I mean, this stuff is going on your lips, okay? Mm-hmm. From the lips, it goes straight into your body. So you don't want to be having people messing around. So um, it's very important that uh, you buy quality ingredients and that you know where it's coming from. You can trace the whole thing, all of that. So out of the ingredients that we need, only two I can find on the ground at the quality standard, which is super high. Our quality standards are really extreme because our market is the U.S. Primarily in the U.S. we sell our biggest customer is Whole Foods Market. I don't mm-hmm. have to tell you they're one of the, they're one right. of the top you know, grocery stores in this country, super high you know, high end and all of that. So very sophisticated buyers as they should be. So, um, so only two ingredients come in that are available in my country. So it means the rest, I have to import it and it's okay. We all buy and sell to each other. That should be, that's the norm in America. It happens all the time. And then, you know, some package you have to bring in all of that stuff. Then, you know, our people, then my, the employees in the lab, we mix all of the ingredients together. Then we pour it, then we label it, all of that stuff, then it goes away to the rest of the world um, to be sold. So if only two are available in the country, uh, it means uh, I have five that I need to bring in. Yet my country is saying the lo- in the laws, uh, for this category, for five of the ones, for f- um, uh, three of the ones, you, uh, four of the ones you have to bring, they're going to be at uh, tariffed at 45%, and the other one is going to be tar- uh, almost at 70%. I mean... Ryan, start to start to connect the dots because right. every I mean you you're making you're increasing my cogs unnecessarily by fifty percent in this case. But that every time you add fifty cents um, to my cogs, meaning the cost of goods sold, then on the other end that has to become two dollars uh, on the price that I'm going to charge the customer in order for me to make up, uh, you know, to, 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 to know that I have, uh, I'm not losing money on this. So you see how all of a sudden you're de facto adding $2 to my product every time you add 50 cents to it because of your stupid taxes. Mm-hmm. So when you do something like this, you're making, you're t- rendering me de facto uh, non-competitive because on the other end, what it means is for the same product, same quality. If I was competing with a woman who is selling her lip balms made in the U.S., didn't have to deal with the same nonsense because all of her material comes in this country um, free of charge, like it is for many things in the U.S. Um, she doesn't have to deal with this extra fifty cents I have, which means her product is going to cost two dollars less to the end consumer than mine. Go explain to a consumer why they have to pay two dollars more for the same product. Just because, you know what I mean? So 
Now, what you see is many people, what are they going to do is um, basically pay bribes. Instead of paying that 40%, 45%, or paying that 70%, but like, here, I give you this amount of money that might represent 5% of a product, but that's the best you, you do that and you move mm-hmm. on. So mm-hmm. I, I like to argue that corruption is usually the sign that regulation, the regulations and laws in place are senseless, inadequate, not transparent, flat out, they're wrong. So it's usually a sign that laws are wrong. And instead of dealing with the law, they don't. But then the rest of the world is saying like, oh my God, look at all this corruption. And then when they go to the corruption, they're like, okay, you need to put more laws to crack down. Not understanding this vicious cycle that you're just getting into. So this is why for me, it's been just so frustrating to hear um, the West always try to talk about corruption. But I think just like with capitalism, when they, when they point at corruption, they're usually thinking about, oh, we've been sending all of this foreign aid for the past six years since most African nations have gotten their independence and we yet have to see anything for it. Uh, if anything, we're seeing these leaders buying chateaus in the south of France. Um, you know, they're having Swiss bank accounts. Um, all of this, you know, this Christian, this Dior products, we're buying Chanel, uh, mm-hmm. Gucci, Prada. That's, that's what they're thinking about. But I'm like, you need to think beyond and, uh, um, that you know so anyway i'm not sure if that's helpful at all but no, it's- uh, so uh, the, i think you're 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 talking in a way that people don't understand I, I know someone who had a project they had i don't remember the country but they had something loaded on the ship and the harbor master said hey it's not leaving the country to you you know why are the money here it, yeah and do you pay and so most people do think it, it is obviously top down heavy but there's also everyone along the value chain is trying to pick their, their, their piece of the pie. And it's like, Oh man. And they are, and they are because, and they are because, uh, you know, when you're in a nation that doesn't have, you know, not much money going around, Mm -hmm. everybody is going to be, but the problem is this person would technically have no power over me. If there was no law, if there was not enough law in their hands, they didn't have to stamp too many things. Yeah, you know, yeah, every, stamp, every stamp they give me is an opportunity for them to withhold the stamp to say, if you want this mm-hmm. stamp on, I don't care that you gave me everything you gave me, mm-hmm. uh, all, all the paperwork you were supposed to bring. I don't care that everything is here. You pay me of it before I put this stamp. If it was not in the law that I need this man's stamp on, then what power does he have over me? None. And that's the same problem we have also on the roads when the policeman, you know, you're going from point A to point B and you're being stopped at 20 million checkpoints on a 30 minute, you know, like um, drive. Um, what it is, is every time they stop you, there is one new thing they're bringing up to you. Oh, um, why am I stopped officer? Oh, it's because uh, you have a tinted, um, mm-hmm. tinted uh, windows, mm-hmm. uh, windshield. And you're like, yeah, and so, well, did you know that uh, by law, for you to have a tinted windshield, you have to have a special authorization from the Minister of Interior. It's for security reasons. We need to see who is driving who where because, you know, terrorist. Are you kidding me? And then you're like, where does that law exist? So, and we have that for many things. Sometimes (laughs) we talk to you. How many, um, how many, um, uh, extinguish, do you have extinguishers in the, in your trunk? Yeah. How many do you have? One, well, you need to have two, okay? Um, And even the two, they have to be, I think there's an expiration date on them or something like that. So you see, it's like, where are all of these laws? Do do I get stopped in the U.S. for stuff like that? Anyway. Well, and this is part of my problem, is that when the West starts to tell Africa 
how to do things. Um, most people in the West aren't a, they're, they're a lot more big government than they probably realize. B, they don't understand how government policy can influence all of these people along the value chain to your point and give them the ability to then have power over you. And, and, and so the West is like, well, well, you know, you people need to get rid of corruption and you need to pass more laws. It's like, well, that's, that's, that's how this works. Like this, how this, like, like go there one time, talk to anyone who's done business there. And you'll realize there is huge corruption in France, people buying condos in France, but it's the portmaster who's killing you. <laughs> He's the one who's holding it up and no one knows who he is or she is. It's and so, so it, it, for me, there's this frustration of um, the West, like, oh, man, well, you, you guys got to fix it. And the thing that they propose to fix it only makes it worse. Because However, we don't understand, because we don't understand it. This is why we tell you, at, like, this is, and this is the same everywhere. Um, this is why I'm usually not a big fan of centralized anything. Because oh, centralized yeah. anything is always doomed to fail. Because you can never beat um, centralized intelligence, can never beat the intelligence of the crowd. It's just, I mean, this context yeah. emergence order, it, it's so powerful. So, um, and I just think it's, um, and so here it shows you once again, as long as uh, our policies are uh, influenced by people halfway across the world who have no idea what the heck is going on, that's a problem. So that's my number one problem. And then um, the other thing also has to do with, and by the way, I just wanted to make it clear that, uh, you know, um, when people say, oh, my God, African nations are so corrupted, so corrupt. I say, yeah, um, maybe maybe uh, Dakar is as cor- it's, it's almost as corrupt as Chicago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, we, we don't have a monopoly of uh, cor- being corrupt. It's no. just like, unfortunately, in our countries, it's just it done. It's in your face. You know, it's in your face. Yeah. It's the most basic mm. level. You're seeing the corruption everywhere. But other than that, here, the corruption is here. Uh, it's just um, hides itself a little bit more, and it's a, it's a little bit at a, at a higher up level. No, no, no. It, I'm glad you said that because the frustration about the U.S. side is is that the corruption is, cl- is, is clothed in a way that you don't really understand what's happening to you. Uh, in Africa, it's so much more apparent because you have this huge levels of uh, extreme poverty. And so you can see, like, why are these people impoverished? And you go, oh, corruption, corruption, corruption. Well, and then the US. this minister who is driving this car that right. <laughs> we don't even have sometimes in the West. And you're like, right. what's going on here? Especially like public servants. Yeah. You know, they're richer than business people. There's yeah. a problem. Yeah. But people, who have never, people who have never worked in the private sector a day in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in the, in the U.S., though, it, it, the, what, what's how you tell about centralization? So in the U.S., we've centralized the power so much so that these people in D.C. and the lobbyists, they're all moving money around. In, in Texas, I'm never aware of it because I'm not running in those circles. And so I can make a living, though. And so I don't think about it. Uh, when Africa, it's a lot more apparent. So in, oh, by the way, a lot of the things that allows for corruption in these uh, emerging markets or uh, in various spots in Africa is policies that were pushed down from the UN or from the West. <laughs> so even if, you know, it, it's all connected. So it's, it's, it's a point of frustration because, you know, when you get into these discussions about immigration, um, you know, I've been to three different countries in Africa um, and, I, and I've seen a little bit of poverty there. Um, I, I haven't gone to some of the more impoverished areas, but I've been to really impoverished areas in Nicaragua and Honduras. And when you go there, 
you talk about not having a job, not having money. You're, you're kind of the the, the 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 speech you gave earlier. You go there and you realize that there is almost no hope for these people because there's no job. There's no way to get a job. There's no way to create a job. They can't get the education for a job. However, this is what I'm curious your take on. I have become more hopeful because of online education. And in these countries, it is easier now to get a phone, to get online, and to learn. Will something like that subvert the old system to where people can actually learn for themselves apart from being taught at school, apart from anything else, uh, and be able to then press on the system that's holding them down? I mean, (sighs) online education is a good thing in my mind, period. Because for me, anytime you give people one more choice to escape, you know, uh, their conditions, to escape the authorities, to escape centralized, you know, power or, you know, telling you this is what education is, this is what a child needs to know by the time they're five or by the time they're seven, whatever. So that's why I support all of this propping of um, new types of education and so many of them being available online so people can escape their circumstances as much as possible. So that's great. And then, um, especially for those who have access to the internet, um, they tap now into the global um, marketplace of uh, knowledge work, right? So people now, um, before, 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 before this, um, let's say you're, an, you're, let's even somebody who can crank up um, uh, spreadsheets or like do free, um, do um, copywriting, all of that stuff. Before the uh, we had the internet and the, this this concept of um, the this online global marketplace, uh, if you're somewhere in the middle in, in the middle of nowhere, Kenya, um, you're pretty much stuck unless there's somebody around you who physically where there is a physical place of work that would need your 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 skill sets. Today, even if that entrepreneur who could be underground needing your skill set because they're precluded by the stupid laws that are the laws of the land when it comes to business. And because of that, those, those would be entrepreneurs are not there. And we've, and uh, just like they're not there, the jobs that would have created are not there. You can still somehow bridge over, you know, in the cloud and still find a job like that online. That's like thousands of miles away from where you are. So that's great. That's Mm -hmm. great. But still, still, we cannot, um, not everybody is going to, has access to the internet, unfortunately. Uh, not everybody has that level of literacy, uh, uh, unfortunately. We still need to have um, jobs, you know, that people, that need to be happening in, in person, right? And so yeah. for that, as long as you need these uh, brick and mortar businesses with brick and mortar jobs, as long as the laws remain pathetic, as long as, long as the business climate remains pathetic, uh that's not, those are, those are, it's going to be that many amount of people who will not have that many amount of jobs that they need so badly. So, um, is, uh, online education helping? Absolutely. Uh, is it, uh, is it our bullet, uh, our silver bullet? No. So we still have to see, this is what I have been also very frustrated about. And that's why I do all, I talk about all the things I talk about is because I feel like for the longest time, we just have given up. On or we have been cowards about what it ta- what it's going to take, because um and I say we've been cowards. At first we said, you know, when first we all thought it was going to be a matter of aid, 
And I so love that Bono just recently, I think a couple of days ago, came out in the New York Times. I don't know if you saw that piece, Ryan, but Bono, of all people and of all places in the New York Times, he was saying that um, after all of these years of activism, he has come to understand that redistribution is not the way to fix poverty. He said commerce and entrepreneurial capitalism is the way to fix poverty. And he said that uh, globalization has been a good thing for the poor, for the global poor. And he said that um, at, at the end of the day, as far as he's concerned, if you truly care about poor people, he now knows that um, he used to, he said he used to, uh, he used to um, hate the idea that uh, uh, being in a world where we look at business people as the heroes was kind of distasteful to him. But mm. he's saying that after everything he's learned today, that um, if you're able to provide good jobs to a community and treat people with decency, then you are a hero in his eyes. That's, that's, that's yeah. big. I don't know if you get it, but this is big. So my whole thing is like, you see, for the longest time, it was aid, 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 like Bono was. Mm. And then eventually when they started to say, oh, maybe business, you know, <laughs> then they, when they're like, okay, well, um, now maybe we're going to do a micro enterprise and micro entrepreneurship and micro business. Mm-hmm and micro loans and then you're like then you find that from the from the uh, there was a Gallup poll that uh, showed that given a choice uh, an overwhelming majority of uh, micro um, micro um, how do you call it micro loan recipients Mm. would rather get a job so Mm, yeah yeah, was yeah. showing you that a lot of them were necessity entrepreneurs rather than opportunity entrepreneurs. And in any case, um, here then, so I feel like even when we went down that path or we're going to go micro when it comes to business, I am wondering if it's because we didn't just look at the problem. We're like, oh my God, if we need to fix all of these, uh, re- if we need to have all of these reforms, yet government is the one who's going to have to do these reforms because that's the power that was given to them, uh, yet we know that these people are nowhere to do these reforms, what's the, what's the way around? Then we settled for the lesser, which was, okay, let's focus on micro micro-entrepreneurship. Um, but today we have to be serious. Micro-entrepreneurship is not, it's a, it was the first good step and I support it all the way. It's better than nothing. But if we're going to be serious, we're going to have to be serious about, you know, small, medium-sized enterprises, yeah. you know, um, businesses. So I feel like, uh, we just, we just keep tiptoeing around the problem and mm. don't go for just really what it's going to need. And I'm, I'm here to challenge all of us. We have to crack this nut. We have to crack this nut. And the internet is great. It's helping, but you cannot eat software. You cannot shower with software. You cannot house yourself you know, shelter yourself with software. We need real brick and mortar businesses. And for those to happen, the laws have to change. Okay. Let me give you the pitch that I've given to people from Senegal or Gambia or Ghana, uh, various Western African nations. Now, I want to hear your response to it. Have you seen the movie, The Patriot, by the way, Mel Gibson? Not yet. Okay. So it's, it's an old movie. In the movie, um, he tells his sons, aim small, miss small, because they're shooting these guns. Aim small, miss small. Uh, and so my, my, my pitch is always in these meetings is aim small, miss small. Let's find a, um, you take about, take agriculture. You mentioned eating. Um, the average steer weight in West Africa is substantially lower than it is in the U.S. There's a lot of reasons for that. But if we could get the steer weight up, you could feed more people. And by feeding more people, you create more jobs. So my, my pitch is always this. If you want energy or agriculture, or whatever, let's find something 
that you can partner with an SME. The SME is going to be dependent on local labor and talent because they don't have ExxonMobil money. So they're going to they're, they're going to bring in a certain specialty and then they're going to need local flavor to help them execute. And in doing so, eventually the local talent will then be able to do all of the value chain. And the small business is going to go away and come back to the U.S. or do something else in Africa or, or wherever it might be. That's the kind of partnerships I think that are, 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 are destined for more success because you are absolutely dependent. Whereas these top down big, 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 huge fortune 500s and how they do local content. I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a lot of there, there. Um, but what you have to have to execute on that is the government actually has to allow you to do these projects and uphold their word. And if those things happen, I think there's a chance for a lot of things to get done and to partner with a lot of local companies in Africa. Uh, but I'm not sure that message works. Maybe it's the wrong message. I'm curious your thoughts on it. I mean, to me, yes. I mean, what you're saying, yes. And that's also, it's uh, it's one of the developments uh, that could be happening. That's one of the uh, uh, consequences that uh, could be um, could be the level land. But if, and the big if, and uh, if and only when the law, the, 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 the business uh, climate changes. Yeah. It's it's uh so we go back everything takes us back to the business climate. Yeah. If you if the business climate is 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 favorable to um business creation then the machine goes into gears and it's uh, no telling where you know how high it's going to go. And um you're 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 suggesting uh what you just suggested but um, we might be very surprised that it takes a different shape. But whatever shape African, you know, like um, whatever shape prosperity building in Africa is going to take, whichever route we're going to take, uh, it's going to be up to entrepreneurs and um, the people working uh, with them to figure it out. So my point is, I'm not even willing to say, um, but what you're saying is, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. And I would love to see more of it happen. But let my, But my point goes back to, if we want for that to happen, the laws, we cannot continue being the most regulated region in the world. It yes, is acceptable and wrong, but it is harder for almost any African uh, entrepreneur to do to start a business in Africa than it mm-hmm. is any uh, entrepreneur in Scandinavia. It is absurd that it is, uh, all Scandinavian nations are more capitalist, are more free market than most African nations. It is, it is, is, this is an aberration of the worst kind. The fact that no one knows about it and uh, pays attention to this, it's, it's mind blowing, mind boggling to me. So yes, to everything you're saying, my point is we don't even need to sit here and try to come up with solutions for, for Africans. We free the Africans like we would free, like we, most other citizens around the world are freed and they too will go and do their magic. They're proving it to us every day. Every day, Africans are able to leave their nations and go to countries where the environment, the business environment is saner. We see them creating amazing businesses, creating amazing, you know, creations. Um, and in all disciplines, in all sectors, whether we're talking about the entertainment, we're talking about sports, we're talking about, um, you know, Wall Street, we're talking about, you know, um, c- consumer package. Everywhere, sure. black, black, 
Africans are doing magic. African immigrants are showing you what they're capable of uh, when they have their chains removed. And these are the chains that we still have. We still have, we don't have economic freedom. There is a crucial freedom, freedom that is crucial. If mm-hmm. anybody wants to build prosperity, it is economic freedom. And it turns out that's the one that we lack the least of. Mm. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying that the, the African people can't do it themselves. No, you're um, not saying that. I'm, I'm, you, yeah. you are not saying that. Um, yeah. what, what I'm reacting to here is just uh, in general, I am using the fact that I'm on your podcast, Ryan, to send yeah. a message. Others, obviously. No, 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 please do, please do. Yeah. I, yeah, I, just want, I just want the listeners and you to be clear that because it, 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 and we'll wrap up this because where I'm sitting at, it's like, okay, I can't change the laws in Africa, but if I can go do projects that generate wealth for the local Africans, they might change the law. They might have the power of the voice. And if I can partner with them, because I have a wife and four kids, one of the most tragic thing is going to some country. And you see someone with a wife and four kids. Yeah, I know. And they can't put a roof over their head. I know. <clears throat> they can't give them power. They can't give them. They can't, it's like how how can you participate? And I, to your point about aid, I'm not. I don't think aid's the answer, but entrepreneurship is. And so, how can you partner with people to help them? No, and I think what you're suggesting is great. And keep doing it. I I do know that um, doing business in Africa is swimming. It's like swimming through molasses. We're going through it for crisis. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, and when when you're saying for now, how can you support? It's like for those of us who are doing business on the ground, whether it's you, Ryan, with some of the people you're you're partnering with, or um, someone like me. The best way for you listeners right now, I can give you a real direct way for while we're working, because we are working on, like, I am the director for the Africa Center, uh, for the African Center for Prosperity of the Atlas Network, which is the largest organization in the world working on taking down barriers of entry for entrepreneurs in their local countries. Um, Mm, There, what we do is we work on policy reforms. I'm also working on some very radical uh, initiatives, which has to do with this concept of the startup cities, um, to... Because we know that uh, basically um, poor nations are poor simply because they are, um, you know, simply because they are uh, regulated for poverty. They're zoned for poverty. The laws call for poverty. So, but we also understand how hard it is to do, how hard and um, how much time it takes to do piecemeal legislation. So some of us are saying, while uh, I'm wearing my height of doing, of uh, contributing to working on uh, policy reforms through the free market think tanks that we invest in all over the continent uh, for them to try to, you know, get some reforms passed to make the business climate saner. At the same time, I'm also wearing another hat, which is the hat of a more radical, you know, um, initiative, which is the startup cities where we say, okay, um, it's hard and take time to change um, laws at the national level because vested mm-hmm entrenched interest and uh, you know all of that then instead how about on a piece of land rather an occupied piece of land so you're not dealing with uh, you know um, expropriation of any kind you work with a um, nation with a leader that might not be at um, at um, for many different reasons it might be harder for this per- hard for this person to to apply these laws to the whole country, but they can say, you know what, let me run an experiment. Maybe on this piece of land that has nobody on it, um, Mm. we are going to try to start with a blank canvas when it comes to business laws. This is going to be our uh, experiment to see how can we start it right from the get-go and have this zone 
uh, be subjected to the best, uh, to the most world class when it comes to business to business climate. And let's see what happens. Let's see if we can uh, leapfrog. And if it works out well, then we change everything. Uh, because it's almost like this concept of buy, of try before you buy. We don't, and it's going to be only like you only, you uh, the citizens who want to get in, they're coming in just because they're, it's, it's voluntary. We're not forcing anybody. And now let's see what happens. If it works out, citizens themselves are going to be the first ones to be like, okay, let's do this all over, change it. And so um, I'm working on that. And at the same time, I'm being an entrepreneur. So I was telling, what I was trying to go with here is uh, to leave a, a hopeful note and a note of, um, telling your, your listeners what they can do to be part of all of this. So I tell people there are multiple ways to be part of a solution, to be part of a solutions and to co-partner with um, Africans. Uh, the simplest one is to please, please, please share the simple diagnosis as to why. Um, and I, it sounds crazy for me to say simple when we think about this big problem that poverty in Africa is, but oftentimes as with anything that you see in the world, um, most, most, a big problem started out with a tiny thing. And then go, when it goes, uh, you know, um, everything that you see has an impact. And then, you know, everything started with tiny, even us, we tied it with us as a human being. We started with one cell, then it multiplies, multiplies, multiplies. All of a sudden you're here. So yes, I go back to that one cell. What is the one cell that started this whole problem? And yes, some people are going to say, oh, well, you know, slavery and, and colonialism, has that caused problems? Absolutely, for sure. But 60 years later, can we sit here and say that's what has still caused, but is still keeping us poor? I refuse to believe so. Um, um, France and others meddling in our affairs, is it happening? Yes. Uh, does it mean that we cannot fight it and win? We can fight. We will fight and we will win. So, um the simple diagnosis here, because if you want to fix a problem, you have to know what is the diagnosis of a problem. It's the fact that um, the reason why Africa, most of African nations are poor, because it's because we happen to be the most of uh, the nations that happen to have the least economic freedom as shown to me and my bones when I'm trying to do business in Africa, but it's all backed by serious research like the doing business index ranking, like the Fraser economic index, uh, economic freedom index, um, and many, many other indexes like that done by very serious people who don't fool around. And it's, it's there. Africa is the poorest region in the world because it happens to be the most overregulated, uh, region in the world. It is a place where, um, it is easier for an, uh, anyone in Scandinavia to enterprise than it is for almost anyone in Sub-Saharan Africa to enterprise. But my friends, is the diagnosis. You want to help now? Now you want to help? A, with the least involved. Just start spreading this message. Yes. Um, you don't have to tell people <laughs> that you agree with it. Tell people, you know what? All, this new, all of these reasons we're hearing as to why Africa is poor, well, let me add another one to you that I just heard. I heard that the reason why most about Africa is the poorest region in the world is because it's, um, it's the one with the least economic freedom. Add that to the table. Let people debate it. I don't need people to agree with me, but I need for this part of the story to be part of the story. And when people start to debate, maybe they'll start to see the light just like Bono saw the light as well. Okay? Yeah. So number one, share that message. Number two, this one is easy too. It's easy as well. Buy African products made in Africa by Africans. Just like my product, Skin is Skin, made in Africa by Africans. <laughs> what do you do when you do that? You're basically contributing 
and making sure that I can continue providing the jobs, the good jobs that I have for these women. And um, with that job they get, the income that they get, and with that income, all the goodies that happen. Women can have economic independence. They can mm. start taking care of their children, and they don't have to feel like they owe me a dime. They owe me yeah. nothing. This was a relationship, eye-to-eye relationship. I needed a, I, I have a job. They know how to do it. We come together. We work together. And everybody, it's a win-win win situation so when you're buying african products made in africa by africans it's one of the easiest fastest ways to just say yeah i'm voting with my with my dollar and then from there there are more involved ways of being part of a solution if you're in the tech world you can uh work with us um on e-governance you know because uh when you work in e-governance what you're allowing there is the more transparency we in we um we in, we uh we bring into the mix and the more we can push corruption back because you know when things are tracked it's harder for people to uh, it just makes it harder to to mess to mess with things um and also and at the top 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 level uh, also like like uh, invest in african businesses when you see them around um do what you said Ryan partner with uh, local um, people uh, on an activity, on a job. Um, and the, the top most radical one is work with us on the startup cities. Uh, lawyers, we need great lawyers because we're, you know, when you have to re- rethink an entire legislation, you know, for, uh, for, for, a thriving business environment, we need all the minds we can find. Um, we, you know, investors at that level. So there are so many ways to be part of a solution, whether you're African or not, uh, oh. whether you're based on the continent or not, to be part of it. So I refuse to sit here and say what we need is in the hands of a government, in this case, these reforms, in this case, a better business climate, and then be like, oh, but because these government don't seem to be motivated, I'm just going to sit there and do nothing. At the end of the day, Ryan, I will leave you with this. I will leave your um, audience with this. We don't need all 54 nations, 55, depending on how you count, we don't need for all of them to change at once, at the same time. All we need is somewhere in one country, one tiny area within that country to change and thrive. And then, my friend, you watch the magic happen. It's going to spread like wildfire. And for me, it's not overwhelming. This is not overwhelming at all. We've got 54 places to, to, to try this in. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to hear you say that because when I was talking to people about the steer weight, and if you could increase the steer weight per head, you could feed more people and people get more, they, you know, and, and going through all that. It's like if one country would just do that and, and all, you're like, you, you, all the other countries would go, wait, they've got better beef they can have for better prices. It creates a whole industry. And so it's, it's funny to hear you say that. Um, okay, so we'll link to all that. I'll also link to two things in the show notes as well. One is a book called Bottom Billion. It's an interesting look at some of these countries and what's going on there. Two is an episode we did on the Southern Cameroons. You mentioned the French there. So we did an episode on the Southern Cameroons and what's happening there. Uh, so we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and then, of course, we'll link to your stuff as well. Thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. I, I enjoyed it as well. Hey, you made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to ask a favor. If you enjoyed it, would you drop a five-star somewhere? And if you really enjoyed it, would you consider becoming a subscribing member over at warroommedia.com helps keep the show going and ad-free. Thank you so much.